The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist a political analyst for WGN-TV and radio in Chicago, and a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C. You can read my take on the presidential race in The Hill every Monday. Just Google muckrack, M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K, dot com, front slash, Brad dash Bannon. My most recent contribution to the Hill is the possibility of a Hillary Clinton presidential candidacy. Check it out and share if you dare. My company, Bannon Communications Research, pulls for and designs research-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is at Brad Bannon. My thanks to executive producer Mark Gamaldi, who keeps me in line and makes sure the trains run on time. Today in the first half hour, We'll discuss election security and hacking with our guest, Akine Freechild of Public Citizen. In the second half hour, Anissa Singh of Planned Parenthood of America joins the provocative progressive political panel with our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, call us at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. These are the questions that we'll discuss today in the first half hour of the show. Inquiring minds want to know, will there be even more foreign interference in the 2020 campaign than there was in 2016? Two. This may be a stupid question, but why are Republicans so reluctant to guarantee election security and fight foreign interference? And third, will Vladimir Putin be able to secure a second term for his buddy, Donald Trump? Our guest in this half hour is Akine Freechild co-director of Public Citizens' Democracy is for People campaign. 
She also leads public citizens' advocacy work on election security and holding voting system vendors accountable for ensuring machines are safe from hackers. She co-founded the Secure Our Vote Coalition, which works on state and local level to encourage election officials to secure the vote and allow for recovery should a computer error or hack occur. Uh, Kine, welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for coming on with us. Okay, uh, let's start with this. Uh, The president... uh, basically takes the position that with there's no Russian interference in the 2016 election. Uh, Do you agree or disagree? I have to disagree. I think there's strong evidence that there was plenty of interference. But I think what is surprising is uh, the president does support paper ballots and some of the same election security measures that we do. Okay. Uh, Is there... Is there a greater danger or a lesser danger? Uh, there'll be more uh, Russia, uh, foreign interference in the 2020 campaign than there was in the 2016 campaign. I think we're already seeing a great deal of interference. We're seeing Russian interference. There's also been reports of Chinese, Iranian interference, possibly North Korean interference. So lots of concern there. And I think there's equal concern about internal interference and non-state actors. Many people who are in the United States have better access to our systems and certainly have some motivation to interfere. So there's a lot we need to do to address that, and I think there's many people working to do that at a, at a speedy pace, but there's a lot to do. Okay. Uh, is, has there been any action at the federal level or the state level or the local level uh, to safeguard against uh, election interference and hacking? Yes, there has. So in 2018, Congress appropriated $380 million, which is doled out to the states, and some states have been doing a lot of great work securing the vote. Uh, Pennsylvania is a great case in point. They required all of their counties that did not have paper, 80% of them did not have paper ballots, to move to a paper ballot system, typically um, paper ballots marked by hand, ideally with a scanner, although many Pennsylvania counties are choosing ballot marking devices with a paper ballot. And then they're also going to be auditing um, those ballots. So paper ballots are important, but if you don't look at them after the election and do a sample, an audit, and check to make sure those voting machines that scan the ballots got it right, they're not all that helpful. So Pennsylvania, a number of other states have moved in the right direction Some of them are not picking hand-marked paper ballots, which is the favorite uh, for election security advocates. Um, Every polling location should have an option for the voters to mark a paper ballot by hand or with an assistive device, and not everybody's going that route. But um, they're definitely moving away from paperless voting machines, with the exception of Texas and Louisiana, where... Unfortunately, counties at the, at the tech, in Texas have been buying a few paperless voting systems, and Louisiana inexplicably is, is buying paperless voting systems for the whole state. But most states are training their election officials at the state level. Some of them are training them at the local level, West Virginia, Wisconsin, taking advantage of federal resources from the Department 
of Homeland Security and their National Guard, for example, in Minnesota. So there is a ton happening at the local level. There's just so much more that needs to happen. Okay. Uh, our guest in this half hour is uh, Kene Freechild. She is the co-director of the Public Citizens Democracies for People campaign. Uh, you can, uh, the uh, Twitter feed uh, handle is, you, there are two I have here, public citizen, public underscore citizen or democracy number four PPL. We're going to go to break now, but we come back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We'll continue this uh, discussion on election security with our guest, Akene Freechild, co-director of Public Citizens Democracy is for People campaign. presidential election looming. Congressional Democrats are pushing measures to secure each vote. The threats we face in 2020, in my view, are going to make 2016 look like small potatoes. This week, Senate Democrats Ron Wyden of Oregon, Dick Durbin of Illinois, and Mark Warner of Virginia tried to force votes on bills that mandate use of paper ballots and require that campaigns report foreign interference. The appropriate response is not to say thank you. The appropriate response is to call the FBI. Their bills would also put strict rules on social media political ads. Every second someone's trying to figure out how to get into your mind and into your life. And we're trying to keep technology up with this reality. But one by one, the bills were blocked by Republicans who say the plans are partisan, too expensive, and would actually make elections less safe. This bill has more red flags than the Chinese embassy. They're doing the same thing over and over. Senator Marsha Blackburn says this job is up to the states. Elections and election security is the jurisdiction of our local election commissions. The fact that the Republican leadership, backed by the White House, won't even let us vote is a real disgrace. Senator Warner says his bill will pass if a vote is allowed. But for now, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell only supports giving local election authorities the money they need to secure elections. In Washington, Raquel Martin. Okay, we're back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour is a Kene Freechild of Public Citizen. By the way, Public Citizen is calling on people to take action on November 13th, a week before the congressional funding deadline. They can find an action near them or host one at www.secureourvote.us. That's uh, uh, www.secureourvote.us. The Twitter handle for this campaign is Secure Our Votes. Okay, uh, Akine, uh, let me ask you this question. Some people make the argument that the Russian interference in the 2016 campaign was serious and may have uh, helped Donald Trump uh, win uh, his, ca- his campaign for president. Was it that extensive? How extensive was it? So there was very extensive documented interference on the social media level and some um, 
academics say that it was enough to really influence the election. It's very difficult to measure the impact of a propaganda campaign, but uh, there is certainly evidence that that's happening again. And although it's not an area where I do, I have expertise on the psychological operations side, we should accept every one of us listening that we are influenced by marketing and propaganda and that your actions online matter. So messages of unity and commonalities amongst Americans may be among the most important thing that everyday citizens can do when they're posting and tweeting right now and carefully considering messages that encourage people to distrust fellow Americans as a group, including saying all Republicans, all Trump voters, um, those may be messages that you may not want to share unless you're being more precise, I think, about who's responsible for what you're concerned about is really important. And I also flag being careful about classist or city-centric comments online um, because we really need to come together. There's many people on both sides of the aisle who really do love democracy, um, and there are more than you think. Um, the biggest beneficiary of a divided United, State, United States of America may be foreign governments. And so we're seeing interference in that direction still. Um, so even though they may be saying things that we agree with, there are folks who are playing into our existing divisions in order to hurt us ultimately as a country. Okay, Nay, uh, tell us about the SHIELD Act, which uh, public citizen uh, – lobbied for and was passed by the House of Representatives. What's in the SHIELD Act? Well, the SHIELD Act was a wonderful bill to both address um, interference in our elections and some of, the, some of the methods that were being used to uh, influence people in social media. So right now there are inadequate regulations to require disclosure of election spending online. And the Honest Ads Act, which is folded into the SHIELD Act, would require that major um, electioneering purchases to try to get someone to vote for or against or support a particular candidate for office would have to have their donors disclosed. And it would have to be rigorous enough where foreign governments would ideally be exposed, right? And the the disaster that is our campaign finance law after the Citizens United and McCutcheon rulings does make this harder because shell companies are being used to hide who's really funneling money into our elections. But it takes a stab at that and really tries to address some of what Russia we know is doing and possibly other folks are doing in terms of funneling money onto um, online political advertisements. It also requires a duty to report illicit offers of campaign assistance, the kind of campaign assistance that uh, President Trump has, has actually asked for and said that he would accept, at least in, in one instance. Um, and then it would restrict the exchange of campaign information between candidates and foreign governments and help prohibit deceptive practices around voting procedures. But because what we saw with Russia is they targeted Bernie voters, they targeted college-educated women in 2016, and they college they um, sorry they targeted black voters as well. And they built up trust by posting things that they thought those groups would agree with. Sometimes it's puppies and kittens. Sometimes it's more targeted messages. And then starting to push the viewers their followers on Facebook and Twitter towards disrupting and distrusting messages about voting, about government, about elections, about whether it, it counts, whether you vote or not. And so being able to address some of those deceptive practices is something that the SHIELD Act would also take on. Okay. Am I right in assuming that uh, the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is never going to allow the SHIELD Act to see the light of day in the Senate? 
I don't expect he will, no. He hasn't passed many bills at all on anything, and he's been particularly opposed to any democracy bills whatsoever, which is really disturbing for the leader of, of a full house of our democratic government. Yeah, I've had a number of guests who are in the same situation. Uh, my question, my next question would be, why, and this maybe this is a stupid question, I'm famous for asking them, but why are Republicans so reluctant to do anything to secure American elections? So it's a great question. We actually agree with many of our conservative counterparts who are working on this issue, who see that we're facing election security crisis. We're calling on Congress to act currently through funding. We're asking for $600 million in accountability for the states to be able to have the money to do what they need to do. They agree that the solutions are simple and transparent, that we need paper ballots, that we need observable audits. Um, and they agree that we need everyday people from across the country to get involved, just like they get involved with elections in general. We need poll workers. We need people to show up at board of elections like they show up at their town council meeting when something that really matters is happening. Well, our election process really matters this year. So we do agree in people engaging. Um, and Freedom Works and Grover Norquist Group, Americans for Tax Reform, have actually called out the Senate leader for not acting, at least on funding, which allows the states and localities to do what they need to do, which they, many can't. Um, but there is a citation of a Tenth Amendment concern. I think what's really happening is some Republican lawyers in the states went to federal leadership and said, you know, we're worried that if we have better and stronger election security laws, then maybe the federal government will then um, come back with more voting laws like we had under the Voting Rights Act when it was fully in force. Uh, we're uh, sadly out of time, but thanks for joining us. And if you want to more find out more, uh, Public Citizen is sponsoring a day of action on November 13th. Find out about it on Twitter at Secure Our Votes. We'll be right back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon right after these messages, so don't go away. of the World Series in uh, Nationals Park last night. Uh, it was, uh, I read that the booze to the president uh, reached a uh, hundred decibels, which is very, very loud. Uh, it's time, it's uh, time for the uh, prog provocative progressive political panel on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest on the panel today is Anisha Singh. Anisha is an attorney turned organizer and democratic strategist who brings with her more than a decade of experience in public interest and social justice work. Her full-time role is Director of Judiciary and Democracy Affairs at the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Her Twitter handle is Anisha, that's A-N-I-S-H-A underscore S113. Uh, of course, also joining our panel is our executive producer, Mark Grimaldi, who is also a progressive political activist. 
Uh, let's start with the uh, reaction to the president's appearance at the uh, fifth game of the World Series last night. Uh, I thought it was uh, very noteworthy, the horrible reception he got. And uh, I was surprised this morning, uh, morning Joe, uh, Joe Scarborough, uh, criticized the crowd uh, for not showing respect to the uh, office of the president by booing him so loudly last night. Uh, and later this morning, a Democratic U.S. Senator, Chris Coons of Delaware, basically said the same thing, that regardless of disagreements with the president, we should, uh, we should uh, respect the office of the presidency. Uh, so, uh, Anisha, how do you feel about this? I mean, I feel like this is such a, you know, it's like a distraction conversation because we have so many issues right now that are on fire, quite frankly. You know, just looking at uh, reproductive health care alone, despite the fact that 77 percent of the American people are in favor of um, safe and legal abortion, we have attacks left and right. And, and, you know, when you have this administration doing so many things that are unpopular with the public and it goes against public opinion, there is going to to be a shift in uh, in the way people are thinking about their president, and so maybe that's you know reflective of what we saw um, last night as well. You know, we have a, an impeachment inquiry going on. Um, there are a lot of um, factors that have hap- factors and uh, conditions that this presidency and this administration have put forward for the American people that has raised concern, and I think that was um, a part of why we heard that last night. Mark, you want to weigh in on this? Yes, I would totally agree with Anisha that, um, you know, overall, it's it's worthy of mentioning because it shows the pulse of the public, I feel, uh, when you see these things. Also, because Trump has been so careful and his team has been so careful to not put him out in any events to where they haven't pre-selected the crowd with one of these, you know, partisan campaign rallies. But when he's truly out there... Um, with the public to react to him as he's introduced something he's horrified of. Uh, that was the reaction, honestly, I would expect from the public. He has, you know, would I have liked them to say, you know, chant impeach him instead of lock him up? Uh, sure. But I think the point is that visceral reaction is normal. And, and you know what? It was, it was nonviolent, okay? So you want to talk about you know, respecting the office, what did you want them to do? You know, no one threw anything. Um, This is their opportunity to exercise their First Amendment, right, and react the way that they want to. And you know what? About respecting the office of the presidency, if it was during the State of the Union address and someone stood up like Congressman Joe Wilson and shouted, you lie, you know, at at the it's instead, you know, it was someone in the crowd saying that to 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 President Trump when he was delivering the State of the Union. Then, yes, I, I would agree with that. But you know what? It was at a baseball game open to the public. And that was the public's reaction. When he was introduced, because they're introducing him, you're acknowledging what you think of him. And frankly, I'm glad that it happened because I think he also thought he was going to get some hero's welcome because of the killing of uh, the leader of ISIS, al-Baghdadi, which, you know what, it is a a relief for Americans and uh, the family of Kayla Muller, who was killed by ISIS, and many others who have been terrorized by, by that group. The world is a better place without that monster in it. But you know what? He made it all about himself. 
he had some bizarre comments about trying to basically make him more of a significant enemy of the United States than Osama bin Laden was. And it was all about puffing up his own uh, uh, reputation and trying to come off as some hero, despite him after President Obama had a very somber and uh, short press conference announcing the killing of Osama bin Laden. Uh, Trump was all over Twitter and everywhere else saying, oh, the President Obama's taking credit uh, for something our military did. Presidents don't deserve credit for military operations. And, you know, once again, for the umpteenth time, he's a giant hypocrite. So I, I think it's that and the fact that um, he is the majority of the public. I mean, these impeachment polls have just turned so quickly uh, in such a giant shift going from people being about, you know, maybe around 35 to 40 percent for impeachment before the inquiry was announced and this news about Ukraine had happened to the latest polling being uh, in the mid 50s to, you know, getting closer to 60 percent in each poll for not only impeaching, but impeaching and removing the president from office. So when you look at a poll like that, uh, you know, are you that surprised that if that's the Amer- how the American people feel that that's how they're going to react to him in a public space? I'm not, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it with what they did either. Well, two things. Uh, first of all, my feeling about what happened at the World Series game last night is uh, I don't see how Donald Trump can expect anybody to respect his presidency. Uh, when he shows so much disrespect to the presidency every day he's been in office. Uh, But let me pick up the point you made about impeachment, Mark, because I think it's very important. Uh, Now uh, there are close, the level of support for impeachment and removal uh, is close to 60%. And my question to the panel is, Uh, Now that there is growing support for impeachment and uh, removal, uh, and assuming there will be a House vote to impeach the president soon, uh, is there what kind of chance is there that we'll get 67 senators, uh, including that would require 20 uh, 20 or 21 Democrats uh, to vote for removal? Uh, Anisha, is that going to happen or not? You mean Republicans, 21 Republicans plus Right, yeah. We'll need uh, 20 or 21 Republicans to vote, Senate Republicans, to vote to remove Trump from office. And my question is, uh, Anisha, do you think we can get that? Is that possible? Listen, we, you know, the hope is that we will reach a point where where the senators recognize that this is a critical moment. Um, and with the full investigation completed um, and, and, a, and an awareness, um, assuming, you know, with, with everything that comes out of the investigation, we are in a place, um, then yes, the hope is that, you know, our elected officials will do what they need to do. We need a fully functioning democracy to protect our basic rights and freedoms. And, you know, at a time when so many communi- communities are facing increasing barriers um, to the ballot box and attempts to suppress their vote, it's so important as we're leading up to 2020 that we protect the integrity of our democracy. And so we must have a full investigation. We must look into what's happening here. And no one is above the law, right? Um, Congress must do their job um, in terms of looking into the impeachment inquiry. And if and when or when the time comes, if the president needs to be held accountable, that needs to happen. Mark, what do you think? 
You know, I w- would say nothing is impossible, especially when, you know, I think previously when we talked about the numbers for impeachment and you saw how quickly the numbers change. And I honestly don't think anyone anticipated they would change this quickly. And every day they have a new witness to come and testify. There's more damning testimony. Uh, for example, Ambassador Bill Taylor having uh, acknowledged uh, that Trump expressly used Rudy Giuliani, his personal attorney, um, to exert a campaign of pressure on uh, the president of Ukraine to publicly investigate the Bidens and also hang over his head an important thing for his country, which would be him visiting the White House um, and $400 million worth of military and life, you know, of weapons to protect his country. Most of all, all of these things were contingent upon him uh, opening uh, an, an investigation into one of President Trump's domestic political opponents, again, having uh, soliciting forward interference in our elections and doing so with an express uh, quid pro quo. So I think not only is, is the tide turning because of that, but to Anisha's point, this is now they're gathering evidence. Once they have it, they will then have these folks testify publicly and the public will hear from these ambassadors, you know, some who have been hand chosen, like Gordon Sundland, the ambassador who was hand chosen by President Trump after donating millions of dollars to the Republican Party and by all accounts was, you know, completely just a yes man to President Trump, has now said, his attorney has said that he told him that this was obvious that this was a a quid pro quo for Ukraine. So honestly, I think once it becomes that black and white, these arguments about process that the Republicans are trying to make, like Lindsey Graham um, and, uh, you know, Matt Gates and Steve Scalise, you know, I, I think those people will never vote to remove him. But those are not the type of people that I think are being considered. Uh, the, the House will pass. It will be people in the Senate in vulnerable districts um, like uh, Sen- uh, like the Senator Cory Gardner of Colorado, Senator Susan Collins of Maine. I, I think Mitt Romney um, is obviously leaning towards already uh, would be voting to remove him. So um, you need, obviously, all the Democrats, the two independents, and then it's going to be, like you said, about 20 Republicans who are going to have to go on the record once all of the evidence, much that we will have not seen yet, um, has been submitted into the public record of whether or not they want to continue to support this man. Yeah, we're going to go to break now, but when we get back from break, uh, we'll have more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and our guest, Anissa Singh of the Planned Parenthood Action Fund and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. And the question is, will kids come to my door this year and say quid pro quo instead of trick or treat? We'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest on the panel today are Anisha Singh of the Planned Parenthood Action Fund and progressive activist and executive producer Mark Grimaldi. We also have our good friend Reggie from Georgia on line two ready to join the panel. Reggie, how are you doing today? 
How you doing, Brad? Good Monday afternoon. Just fine. Nice, nice uh, long time no see. Always here glad to you, hear Brad. from you. You, Brad, my man. I would just like for you to. Uh, I would just like to know how do how did you, your guest, and of course Martin and Mark Romaldi, feel or felt about what the GOP did just last week by trying by storming through the by storming into the uh, impeachment proceedings with no armed security guards to stop them. I mean, aren't those doors supposed to be locked and fully guarded at all times when there's, when there's political business being discussed? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, this reminds me uh, back in 2000 when uh, they were recounting the ballots in Florida in the uh, contested presidential election between Al Gore and uh, George W. Bush, a group of Republicans uh, basically uh, closed in and shut down the vote counting uh, at one, in one of the big counties in Florida and completely disrupted the process. And this reminded me of that. Uh, Anisha, what do you make of uh, last week's uh, Republican Brooks Brothers riot? Yeah, I mean, just going back, I mean, it's it's, it's clear that we need to have uh, a, a smooth process here for the impeachment inquiry. And actually, right now, breaking news, um, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has announced that the House will take a vote on Thursday that establishes the procedure in the ongoing impeachment inquiry. And I'm pretty sure that a part of this is in response to what happened last week to make sure that they have a smooth process. Because again, this is so vital. This is so important. um, And we can't risk having a tainted inquiry process when uh, the American people are looking for answers and looking for justice, and we want to make sure that our 2020 elections are secure. Mark? Yes, I would agree with both of, of uh, what you said. And, and Anisha, thank you for that breaking news there. I think that is a, a smart move. It's also going to potentially help in some of the court proceedings, although a vote is not technically necessary under the Constitution to open the impeachment inquiry. Um, they'll now have no excuses for some of these lawsuits, like the one the uh, uh, Bolton assistant has filed today. Um, we'll see what happens with, with that in the court proceedings about whether or not he is going to, uh, he basically asked the judge to decide whether or not he should be listening to the congressional subpoena uh, or the president's office claiming executive privilege so we will see um but the law seems to be on the side of the impeachment proceedings um but in regards to having the republicans storm the the skiff the secure area where information is held i cannot imagine their reaction if the tables were turned and Democrats had done that. I mean, there would be calls for them to be removed from office, some sort of like martial law. I mean, I cannot, I seriously cannot imagine. And there's many moments like that in this presidency. Don't get me wrong where I feel that way. But I mean, this is dangerous. They brought cell phones, which, you know, recording devices in there. And when Jim Jordan was asked about it, he literally said, quote unquote, no big deal. And again, it's this double standard uh, is is absolutely ridiculous. And I think it just goes to show that the, the, these stunts like these show that they have nothing of sub, of any sort of substantive argument to rebut the testimony, the damning testimony from Trump administration officials that are laying out the Democrats' case for them. And if that wasn't enough, you have people like White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney just admitting to the quid pro quo in a public press conference. So it just it's overwhelming. I mean, you could, it's a slam dunk 
of a slam dunk. I, I'm running out of you know analogies to use here, but that that's my feeling on it. Just from honestly taking a step back and taking politics out of it, just looking at it uh, very straightforward. I, I think it's a very clear case of of soliciting foreign interference. Yeah, thank you, Reggie, for bringing that up, uh, because, again, it's another example of what Mark was talking about uh, before, which uh, the Republicans can't really bring themselves to defending uh, President Trump's actions on the Ukraine call, so they're resorting to complaining about the process, and it seems to me they're missing the point here, which wouldn't be the first time uh, congressional Republicans have. Anisha, one quick question before we go. There has been a lot of chatter in the last few days in the Acceler corridor between Boston and Washington that Hillary Clinton is considering a run for president. Uh, do you think she uh, should should make a race? That is completely up to her. But, you know, I think what is really important is that, you know, we so far we've seen uh, a large number of individuals running for president. And the benefit of that is that we have a lot more dialogue. Each of them pushes the other to have a more robust health care plan, a more robust plan to, for example, protect reproductive health care and abortion access in this country um, and, and everything in between. And so the more individuals we've had on that stage and the more that have come forward, the more they've been able to push each other. And, and it's too soon to tell whether, you know, for example, uh, someone like Hillary Clinton will join the race or, or someone um, else will drop out and who will end up being uh, the Democratic nominee. What we do know is that we need to keep pushing these presidential candidates to speak to the issues that we are not seeing enough coverage of. You know, this last debate covered a little bit of uh, reproductive health care, abortion access, and the courts. But we need to continue to see more and more of that conversation, in particular, given how many people are asking to hear about that and asking to hear about those plans, especially when we know that there is a reproductive health care case right now um, being heard by our Supreme Court, along with abortion bans across the country. What does that mean that the next president has to do uh, to ensure and to protect uh, Roe? Um, so it's more about the substance. It's more about pushing them to be really bold with their ideas and holding them to it, um, whoever it might be that ends up as our uh, Democratic nominee. Yeah, one of the problems is going to be in terms of uh, talking about issues uh, is the next debate on November 20th is going to be only two hours long as opposed to three. And there was a lot of complaints the last time um, that uh, they didn't get around to important issues in the three-hour format. There are going to be at least nine Democrats on the stage in only two hours, so that sadly may squeeze out uh, the discussion. Anyway... That's all for today, folks. I want to thank my guest, uh, Akena uh, Freechild of Public Citizen, Anisha Singh of the Plant Parenthood Action Fund, and executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. Tune in next week for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm here every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, if the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. Unless, of course, Donald Trump declares martial law and at a point, we have a real problem. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed the hour today. 
Um, always looking forward to uh, talking to you on Monday afternoons. And uh, we have a lot more excitement planned in uh, more shows on Monday. And be sure, of course, to listen to the Leslie Marshall Show Tuesdays through Fridays. Uh, and that, if that doesn't pack your week, nothing will. Anyway, uh, this is all for me today. Enjoy your week. Be careful on Halloween. And uh, make sure that uh, when you answer the door on Thursday night, uh, that uh, you are nice to all the kids uh, because uh, uh, there are future voters and we need as many young voters as we can. Anyway, uh, talk to you all next week. Uh, and remember, pay attention. There's a lot going on in the Democratic race. Uh, there's a lot going on in impeachment. We should be getting to a vote uh, pretty quickly. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. That's all for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon.